<laughs> that direction. It is great to be here. I don't go out and travel very much because I get the opportunity to speak several times a week in the school of ministry and then at the local church. And I am a young father. but I'm actually a father of young kids is probably a better way of saying that. Uh, so I got a 10 and a 9-year-old and a 7-year-old home. And right now, we're at a, it's not quite a crisis, but there is a black, a stray black cat trying to adopt my family. So, yeah, I got to get home put the foot down on this. So we'll see how that's going. <laughs> Love cats when they're over there. So uh, I have a little tiny chihuahua, which I wasn't too keen on. And and then my wife brought him home and like, "Eh, I'm doing all right. Now I'm kind of a Scoop fanatic. That's his name, Scoop. So I think they're trying to do the same thing to me with the cat, but we'll see how it goes. So I want to talk to you today. Um, I feel the Holy Spirit's been kind of stretching me to have a really cool linear sermon that, you know, I can give you a wrap up very nicely. I do feel like the Lord is kind of trying to get me to pull it apart a little bit and change it around. So I'm, I always get nervous when the Holy Spirit does that. I'm like, Lord, Lord I'm afraid it's going to turn into Franken-sermon. You know, like, ah, just cobbling things together. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to just work with us and on us as I, as I preach and teach to you, okay? So Holy Spirit, we are, your, we are your kids, and you are the ultimate teacher. And so we just present ourselves again. It's our heart to be transformed, to look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, think like Jesus, see like Jesus. Oh, to become even more and more lovely. And so I just pray an anointing on us in this community that the word would come and it would establish something powerful. In your name, amen. Well, let's get right into it. We'll turn to Matthew. We're going to look at one of the parables of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And I think it's in Matthew chapter 18 or so. Matthew 18. In, in Matthew... Matthew was kind of under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, kind of gathered a bunch of the teaching that you see in Luke and Matthew kind of spread out. Matthew kind of gathers it into sections. And in chapter 18, he has this whole section about relationships and how to like uh, approach each other when there's a crisis or conflict in the relationship. And in this passage about, about church relationships, he tells this amazing uh, parable that I'm sure you've heard before about the parable of the lost or of the, uh, um, the unmerciful servant. And so... Uh, Peter comes to him and says, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. He thinks he's doing good. Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. And then he goes into this parable that's probably really familiar to you. It's so good. I want to read it to you. I'll read it fast. Uh, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, which is kind of roughly a million bucks. So it's just a large, large portion of money that your average Christian, your average person could never get, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they have be sold to repay the debt. Okay, turn on the television in your head. This man's in crisis. (laughs) The king has called him in to settle accounts. He has no money to pay. Have you ever been in a spot where you had no money to pay? Do you you know what that's like? Okay. But in this society, it wasn't like, oh, we'll go declare bankruptcy. I mean, we, you know, in the olden days, we had debtor's prison. And then even before, it it was even worse. You know, the king could put your whole family in jail so you could repay. This man is in a heap of trouble with no, no solution whatsoever. No solution whatsoever. And so he, um, the servant fell on his knees. It's a good plan. He's got a bit of a brain. Right? right? <laughs> he fell on his knees. 
And he begged him, be patient with me, he begged him, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Did the TV in your head just break? I mean, bam, (laughs) that wasn't supposed to happen, that wasn't the norm, but he gets set free. He lets him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who uh, who grabbed him, so, sorry, who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. This isn't going well. Began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Now listen, imagine you're sitting there listening to Jesus tell this story. Okay, you just, Jesus is telling story, the story about this guy who's just been forgiven this huge debt. And he walks out, and the first guy he sees owes him money, and he grabs him and chokes him and demands to be paid. Demands to be paid. What are you thinking about this guy at this point? He's ungrateful, absolutely. What do you think? He's an idiot. I mean, isn't he the dumbest dum-dum you've ever seen in your life? I mean... How clueless, how lack of having self-awareness can you actually have to, you're about your whole family and you're about to be put into prison for a debt you can't pay, and you walk out, you're forgiven, you're like, dust yourself off, walk out, hey, Joe, you know, it's, I've been looking for you. It, it's crazy, and if you were in the audience with Jesus, that whole thing, I don't know how many of you get nervous like when one of your friends is trying to do stand-up comedy for the first time, like, or do a solo for the first time, Ugh. maybe somebody on TV, Greg Brady's embarrassing himself, you're like, easy, Greg Brady, you know, don't want to do that. It, that's how you'd be feeling in this thing. This is going squirrely fast, because this guy's an idiot. So, his fellow servant, uh, he fell, uh, sorry, his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, I'll be patient with me, I'll pay it back to you, but he refused. Instead, he went and he had the man thrown into prison. The very thing he got out of, thrown into prison until he could pay. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in And said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all your debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owes. This is one of those times when gentle Jesus, meek and mild, isn't quite a fit description. Crazy story. So... As you're experiencing this story, you know, that, that concern or that wonder, like, that guy's, in, that guy's ridiculous. And it's easy to step outside the story. I don't know about you, but in a parable sometimes, I, I find myself in the parable. Like, maybe I'm the king and I've forgiven somebody because they've done something terrible. Like, rise, you're forgiven. You know, maybe I'm one of the servants. Usually I probably picture myself as the servant who's telling on people. I don't know about you, like, because I would never be that that guy, but I I probably see I see people behaving that way quite a bit, and so and I'm like, Lord, have you seen what's going on here? Or I'm, you, you know, in the, in church life, you see something happening, but in this parable, Jesus kind of lands this. So all the while that you're sitting there thinking, that's the dumbest dum dum I've ever heard of in my whole life. All the while that that thought is percolating in your head. Jesus is getting ready to drop a bomb on us. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I'm the idiot. 
I want to think I'm the gracious king or the servant, or lots of times I'm the guy being choked to pay back a hundred bucks. But from heaven's perspective, I'm that guy. In a parable, I know we've heard these parables oftentimes, but Jesus told the parable, parables are like a joke. They're a buildup to a punchline. And this one's a buildup to a punchline that you look ridiculous from heaven's perspective when you won't forgive. Holy smokes. <laughs> from heaven's perspective, it's like, you know what it's like when you withhold forgiveness from each other? It, from heaven, it looks a lot like this. And, and it's interesting, Jesus as a whole, like I said, pardon me if I got into this pretty abruptly, but it's a bit of a Franken message. Jesus is, um, he's fierce with at least two sorts of people in the New Testament. He's fierce with Pharisees and religious people who don't think they need a Savior. And so Jesus takes out a two-by-four and begins to bang them over the head with it. You guys are brutish snakes. You're, you know, you're like an unmarked grave. I mean, these are the people who are the grassroots religious leaders, the respected people in the environment. Snakes, you know, uh, you know deceptors, deceivers. He calls them twice. You know, he, says, he calls them a son of hell, basically. This is, again, Jesus. So he's fierce with the Pharisees. He's also very fierce with, now this is tough, get ready. He's also fierce with those of us who won't forgive. It's the most amazing thing. It's the one time you go, Jesus, I'm a victim. How can you be fierce with me? How can you expect that I give and extend forgiveness? You know the answer to that question, right? What is the answer? Because you and I have been forgiven so much. You and I have been forgiven so much that we have kind of no right to loose the forgiveness that we have freely received, that we didn't earn or deserve. We look ridiculous when we withhold this thing we freely give. We look like that guy. Look at, look at, I don't want you to look like that guy. I don't want to look like that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy in dealing with my kids, my spouses, my coworkers, uh, you know, the, the people that have hurt me in the past, the people that have caused crisis, and the, 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 the bankers, the who. I don't want to be that guy from heaven's perspective. Now, flip that parable. Just stay with the parable. So Jesus, because Jesus is the rabbi, and he's like, da, 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 I mean, he just, he's a master teacher. You know, it's at this level. It's like Hitchcock, like, laugh, 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 scare ya. You know, and so Jesus has a bit of that, like, what a nice story. Jesus is a good storyteller, don't you think? That's you. You're a, jor- you're a dork, you know. You're, you're an idiot if you do that stuff. That's well, me. <laughs> so I'm often to hear Jesus and Hitchcock compared. I mean, that's good stuff right there. So the... Uh, <laughs> So now, if this story, what was the way that Jesus wanted the story to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the way he wanted it to go? He, he's like, you should have got up, gratitude filling your heart. And the first time you saw that guy, what should have been like your first thought? You never believe what happened to me. <laughs> Listen, I know you owe me money. Done. Don't owe me money. Go, you're blessed. Here's my, here's my. I brought a couple quarters to the meeting. Take them, you know. Uh, it's at that point, it's like that could have, Jesus could have told a happy story if, at some point if he'd have got up and then saw seven people who owed him money. He's like, you're free, you're free, you're free. I mean, that's, the, that's kind of the, the flip side of how Jesus is saying, this is the proper behavior when you realize you've been forgiven. You're hopelessly in debt. It, 
unable to pay whatsoever, and yet when you get forgiven, you begin to give forgiveness. Now, and let's even go a little bit further and and take take that image. And what if I told the parable this way? It's kind of the same parable, but Jesus told it in the negative. I mean, scary negative uh, sort of deal. But I'm going to tell you the parable in a positive. Suppose you have been um, secretly been entered into every single lottery that's going on across the world. And uh, just you haven't been doing it all, but somebody else has been entering into that, in that lottery. And amazing, lo and behold, you've been winning every single lottery. And your checks keep coming in. You never put, you never sign up for these lotteries, but you keep getting money, free money. And you're a billionaire. You're a billionaire and you've done nothing to deserve it. And it keeps growing because somebody keeps entering you in there and you're investing some of it. And it's like, you're a billionaire just out of the blue because somebody else has done something for you. And your friend comes to the door and says, Hey, you know, I, I need to borrow some money. And it's like, well, what are you What are you going to do with it? Um, I've got to be a steward, you know. And uh, so, how do you How are you going to handle this this investment that I make in you? If I did that, I'd be an idiot. <laughs> It'd be ridiculous. What if I told the parable this way? You have a magic cupboard, and it's full of bread and food. You don't put any of it in it. You open up bread and food. It's like the oil of the vineyard, bread and food, delicious food. Every time somebody knocks at your door, I would, if I had a big wooden pulpit, you could hear the knock, but uh, somebody knocks at the door and they're like, hey, can I can have some bread. You're like, ah, da, 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 da. No, uh, no, no, I'm not so sure. You know, like, I'm not sure there'll be enough for my family. I'm not sure the cupboard will keep having magic food. It's been consistent, but I'm not sure. Who knows what tomorrow's going to bring? The economy could change. You know, uh, so in that sense, all the, the, this, it's a parable of trying to get us to realize this, that you and I are forgiveness billionaires. We are forgiveness billionaires. We are wealthy, and we've done nothing to deserve it. We've been continually entered into lotteries, and we've won. We are filthy rich in forgiveness. And that self-understanding, that I'm filthy rich in forgiveness and I'm a forgiveness billionaire, I've done nothing to deserve it, if that thing can percolate and permeate down to the very foundation of our core, it changes who we are in interactions with each other. Because... I am, I, am no longer, I am no longer seeing myself as deficient in the moment of crisis. I'm no longer simply a victim. I'm a perpetrator that's been forgiven. And it, 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 it creates a humility that you're not, you don't have to strive after. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to reach for it and hope it's there. But if you and I could meditate on this reality that we are forgiveness billionaires, then how we go to the lost will feel very different to them. Because we won't come as people who've arrived, who've, hey, we finally figured it out. That was awesome. I was smart enough to find Jesus. Amazing. The, uh, you know, <laughs> we actually come like, I was lost, and then he found me. I was like a coin, didn't even know I was lost, a little inanimate coin in the house, and he came and found me, and threw a party when he found me. If we can get this thing deep in our core that we're forgiveness billionaires, we've been loved by God and have done nothing to deserve it, 
then when you and I are sharing our faith, it rolls out of this place of humility and gratitude, of being beloved and forgiven. When you and I are, are, are solving crises in our relationship and solving, uh, approaching each other about difficult situations, working out our marriages, working out our salvation with fear and trembling like it talks about. When scripture says, speak the truth and love one to another in Ephesians, and in that concept, It's actually, and then you and I won't be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. So it's actually, as we're trying to talk about how God works and what God's doing, this love and affection should be in there as we're trying to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we go, I think it works this way. I don't think it works that way. But I'm not above, we're just on this plane of forgiveness billionaires. And we're not poor, impoverished Christians who are like, I'm poor too, you're poor, let's starve together. No, we're wealthy! (laughs) We're wealthy. So it's in, in this, this idea of being forgiveness billionaires, I think is kind of the way in which the next part that I want to speak to you about in Luke is I want to talk to you about this invitation that Jesus gives us to be authentic and to tell the truth to each other, even when someone sins against us or, or hurts us. So the proper mindset, I think, as we come to people is realizing I'm a lucky man, a forgiveness billionaire, I've done nothing to deserve it. But I, I still have to speak the truth like, that hurts, that confused me, I didn't like this, we need to solve this crisis. But when, when, when we have this basic understanding that I've been forgiven, it, may, it t- changes the whole tenor of that. You know what I'm saying? I don't necessarily... To, look, if your answer is good enough, I will forgive you. Like, if you've got a good enough explanation, if I see enough sadness in your eyes, genuine sadness. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the real stuff because that's when I'll give the real forgiveness when the real repentance comes. I'm looking. I'm looking. But if we're like, yeah, I, you know, I, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I, um, I had no repentance in my eyes. <laughs> Didn't care about him. Do my own thing. Forgiveness came. Let's take a look here. In, um, if I pull this, is it going to get... Oh, there we go. Good. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Sometimes I do this as a speaker, and I pull the whole thing apart. I step on the bottom and pull this, and I end up with just the top in my hand. And it gets awkward in a preaching moment when you're doing that. Could someone put the podium back together uh, for me? This time I asked, but I really didn't wait for the answer. I did it, and it worked. Yeah, favor. <laughs> I'm a billionaire in favor. Okay, so... <laughs> So I want to take you to one of the most difficult passages of Scripture, and I'm going to preach you up really quick in this whole deal. So uh, difficult and wonderful all at the same time. It's Luke chapter 17. And it's, it's a really an amazing part. I, I will be able to unpack it for you in kind of a quick fashion, but you're going to have to listen hard. So Jesus says to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Oof. <laughs> Jesus is about to invite us, invite the disciples to rebuke each other and forgive each other, to speak the truth in love and to ask for forgiveness. He's about to invite them into real authentic relationships about real stuff. And these guys are not saints. They're on a three and a half year camping mission trip with Jesus. It's hard to be like a nice guy for three and a half year camping mission trip. Where are we sleeping tonight? I don't know. We're going to crash at Lazarus' house. Okay. 
Where's my stuff? You don't have stuff anymore. We're on a three and a half year camping mission trip. You sold your boats. You don't have stuff. So it's, uh, it's hard to... They're living the real deal. Like you and I go, that's the Bible times. No, it was tougher for them, and they're getting this message. So he, he, says, uh, he says, you know, basically, woe to those to whom sin comes. Here's the main point that you need to get. Sometimes Christians, we, we forgive each other, and we think we're forgiven because we minimize sin. We minimize the destructive, crazy-making, hate-filled capacity of sin to destroy people and situations. And somehow we've minimized it, and we end up minimizing the salvation that Jesus has bought for us. We think, I can forgive you because that was a small thing. That's not how it goes. Hey, it'd be better for a guy to be thrown into the sea with a, with a stone. He'd be drowned to death than to let sin roll through our lives to other people. Jesus doesn't forgive sin because sin isn't a big deal. He's like, it's a super big deal. He's using imagery of homicide and suicide to deal with sin. It's a big deal. And of course, the cross is a big deal that is the salvation and is the rescue and is the transformation of sin. So make sure in your, in your understanding of salvation, you haven't minimized sin in order, because the better to let sin be the maximum thing Jesus says it is and then realize how great the gracious goodness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is. Because that will make your spirit soar. So, I love it. It's a pretty stern message that he gives. And then you think he's going to give great counsel. Like, Jesus, that's some of the scariest Jesus stuff you've ever said. That's out-of-the-box Jesus stuff. Where's, like, God so loved the world? Where's that? <laughs> so Jesus mentions, like, you think he's going to give you this great advice, and he says this, so watch yourselves. It's almost like Jesus says, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. But that yourselves there is plural. So he's like, I've given you each other to bring out the gold in each other. I've given you each other to kind of say, hey, that, that looks scary. That hurts. Please don't do that again. I've given you each other to feedback with how you're experiencing each other. You're like, holy smokes, this sounds scary. I'm going to leave this big mess for you. It'd be, it'd be awesome. <laughs> to actually be telling the truth to each other and then you know, saying, that hurts. I'm sorry that hurt. Please forgive me. You're forgiven. Uh, you know, that scared me. I'm uh, sorry. That's not my heart to, for, uh, to scare you at, at all. You know, please forgive me. How can I manage myself in this connection? I'm using Danny Soak language if you recognize that. Um, you know, how can I manage myself to protect this connection? We work it out. So he says, I've given you yourselves. And I love the disciples' response. It is so... Um, well, actually, Jesus tells him first. The, oh, no, that's the part there. Uh, if your brother sins, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. God, that sounds horrible, frankly, Jesus. That sounds super hard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. I repent, then forgive him. Okay, let me ask you real quickly. Who in the world has the... Uh, the capacity and ability and nearbyness to sin against you seven times in a day. You're sitting next to him, right? <laughs> so it's so funny. We make forgiveness like the weapon of last resort. Like I had to forgive a guy who cut me off on the street today, you know, on the, on the, you know, on the street, or I had to forgive. And it's like, no, actually, forgiveness is not the weapon of last resort. It's the everyday grace of our closest relationships. 
where we speak the truth in love, but not as you know, loud and proud, like I, you know, I've been rescued by God, but actually I'm a forgiveness billionaire, and so are you. Let's, let's find some humble way to, to, to own some stuff and forgive some stuff and make some adjustments as a couple of billionaires at the table. And the disciples, so Jesus basically is like, here's how I want you to run your relationships. I want you to you know, let each other know when you hurt each other, and then I want you to work it out. And if it happens seven times a day, then roll it. Do it seven times a day. And the disciples go, this is awesome. Um, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> that's, oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff right there. Jesus just tells them, here's how I want you, real relationships. It's, gonna be, it's, gonna, it's great because it'll make you, I've given you each other so you don't sin. Like, it's going to be awesome. You'll be in community. It's going to be great. And they're like, I don't think so. Like, I don't believe you. Jesus, that sounds like the dumbest idea I've ever seen. I mean, I, I'm going to need a gift of faith from above to believe that would ever be healthy in my marriage. <laughs> that I would ever be healthy with me working with my adult kids. That would ever work out with my coworkers. Uh, it's amazing. So that we go immediately to the spiritual you know, thing, and the Lord's like, he brings it right back again. Uh, and he says, he says to them, uh, let's see. If you have faith, you can so as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted the sea, and it'll obey you. What's Jesus saying? A little bit of faith can accomplish a whole lot. Translation? Now, this is how we interpret it. We go, I must not have enough faith. I'm so rotten. I'm so horrible. But that's not what Jesus is doing. The master rabbi is saying, he's like, hey, I want you to confront each other, work out your relationships, become even more beautiful and more transparent and more honoring. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and they're like, we don't believe you. Uh, we're going to need more faith. And he's like, listen, fellas, a little bit of faith can do a whole, whole lot. He's actually kind of saying, this is not a faith issue. You try to spiritualize it and make it a faith issue, and you have enough faith to do what I'm telling you to do right now. You're not allowed to cop out, opt out, because I don't have enough faith for that. He's like, that mustard seed in you, that's enough. That's enough. And then he goes on and tells one of the, a really perplexing parable, but in its context, you, you can see it for what it is. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? I mean, wouldn't you do that if you were the master? Like, no, wait on me first. You eat second. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? What's the answer, everybody? No, it's a rhetorical question in Scripture. No, he wouldn't thank him because he did everything he was told to do. So you also, what? What? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. So he's like, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to tell the truth, I want you to forgive each other, I want you to work through stuff. If it has to happen seven times a day, and we're going to need more faith for that, no, you've got plenty of faith. What you don't have is the mentality of a servant. You, you've forgotten that you were at the king's mercy. You forgot that everything you have is gift and grace. And, and if we can again take on that I am a servant who owed the Lord everything and could not pay him back. 
That's who I am. I am a man who has no money, no resource, but the Lord's undeserved love and power to transform me, his grace, his undeserved love and power to transform me, has established me as a person in a way I never knew possible. And so he invites us again to realize that we are servants and the master is, is expecting, this of, of, expecting this of us. He's like, I'm not asking. You're my ambassadors. And the whole deal is about how I came and forgave people who didn't deserve forgiveness. I can't have ambassadors who can't forgive people. I mean, the cross you and I wear is a sign of forgiveness. You know, execution and death that led to a way of reconciliation in life. I can't have you ambassadoring for me if you're not walking in forgiveness. If you don't have the capacity to walk humbly with each other and address issues, I, 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 you're not going to really be, do a great job of representing me. And so this church and the way that you do life together and the way you do life in your relationships and the way your family does life and the way you do it with adult, rela- adult relationships with your kids and the way you do it with your coworkers and the way you do relationship with your government as you have, you know, yelling at the news or whatever you're doing, you know, however that's going, that, that is modeling. You have an opportunity to model that this gospel of grace that we live and to move and speak at a level of humility that you didn't, you know, it's super hard to be humble. You ever tried it? Like, it's, it's hard to like flip a couple switches and be humble. No, you have the last donut. No, it's good. I, you know, I don't, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to make yourself humble. But if you and I could actually, if we get the real picture, the real worldview the gospel's trying to give us, that we have been forgiven and didn't deserve it, and the invitation to gently speak from that place to somebody else when they've hurt us, confused us, scared us, made us angry, and, and realize, look, I, I'm going to talk with you, but I'm, I'm not going to be like the idiot who shook somebody down. I'm going I'm to be like the, <laughs> the idiot who walked out forgiven. <laughs> says, listen, the most amazing thing just happened to me. You and I are good. <laughs> you and I are good. I'm going to pray for you. And I would like uh, just, if somebody here is just specifically, there's somebody, I don't mean some, some hellish things have happened to some of us. And we're like, it, you were talking about forgiveness with laughter, and it's the most painful thing in my life. It is not my heart to do that to you today and to make that thing small. Remember, Jesus said it's huge. But he said, my grace, my sacrifice, is sufficient to cover and transform that. And so if there's a particular situation that you need to let go of and and lose forgiveness into, uh, we're going to do that second. But the first thing I want us all to do, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and stand up. I want want you to get it. I want you to be convinced that you're a forgiveness billionaire. I I think Jesus gave a pretty convincing deal. I think I did too. But you got to know it in your knower. You got to know it in your knower, and it's got to be the new normal for you that you are a forgiveness billionaire. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do for us what we simply can't do, you know, above and beyond. We can't talk ourselves. Some of you have already zoned out. I want you to look at Jesus again. I want you to ask him. I want to know who I am as a forgiveness billionaire. I want to know who I am. I never want to be seen from heaven like, what are you doing withholding something you freely received? We want to be a a fragrant and wonderful offering, beautiful and holy, that this church would be a, a, it would be a temple of the Lord. The relationships in this house would be a temple of the Lord because they are so full of humility and justice and truth and love.
uh, the culture in this church is beautiful. I ask you to build this into the culture too. <laughs> It'd be another stone, another stone in the culture. And now, if you just particularly say, I got, I got somebody to forgive, then, then I just want you to look at me and go, I, I've got somebody in my heart that I've been withholding forgiveness, and I'm going to lose it today. To do, I love that. I love you. I love you doing that. That's brave, and yet not so brave, because you're a billionaire. But it's true. <laughs> I love it. You're letting him go. That guy's free. If you see him again, you don't have to shake him down. He's free. Yeah. Yeah, you're letting that thing go. That does not own you, does not define you, does not identify you. What identifies you is the cross of Jesus and the billionaire that you are, the magic cabinet in your house that has free food for those that come. And it's not like anybody can walk on you because you've Jesus told you, no, 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 they, you can't just give it. You've got to tell them, yes, that hurt. <laughs> yes, that was real. I'm not just walking it off alone. I speak the truth to you. We work it out. Forgiveness comes. I know some of you are like, somebody's died. You can't give them. You can't ever speak of this forgiveness. It's too thorny right now. I don't know how it's going to work out. But be open to Holy Spirit's leading. That there'll be a time when you can verbalize the forgiveness that you're walking in now. And how will you know if you got this thing right? If you got it right, if, if you have some humility... If you're walking in humility, it's oftentimes hard to tell if we are. Your wife will tell you. <laughs> Your friends will tell you. Strangers will tell you as you interact with them. Your coworkers will tell you. It's going to be beautiful. Well, I do have to walk out the door and get on the plane. I bless you in the name of the Lord that he is able to keep you from falling and everything you've entrusted to him, he's able to keep and he is a good God. He is a good God who's loved us with an everlasting love. And we are becoming more and more like him. I'm getting more beautiful. And I'm rich. (laughs) Bless you.